So Money episode 656, Ask Farnoosh with Justin Crane. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Happy Friday. It is Black Friday. Hope you are not shopping. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Black Friday, doorbusters, not really steals, unless you want to get the cheapo flat screen from the discount store that's going to last you eight months and then break. Uh, But hey, you got it for 100% off. No, I hope you're home, spending time with family, listening to this podcast, obviously. Appreciate your patronage to this show. And thank you to everybody who's been writing reviews lately. I don't know. Every day I wake up and after I read my Twitter and find out the next man to get, uh, you know, uh, unseated for his sexual harassment claims, I also tend to find out who's been leaving me some, some awesome reviews on iTunes. So thank you so much for making my day brighter and uh, taking the time to leave your thoughts and it does really help a lot with uh, in, with respect to iTunes and just getting people to, to log on and listen because they see your glowing reviews. Really appreciate it. All right. So it is it is Black Friday. It is the unofficial kickoff to the holiday season. And for those of you out there who are business owners or have maybe some side hustles that are growing and growing in revenue and you're thinking about transitioning, this is the time of year when a lot of work seems to be on your plate, not enough time. Um, there's a lot of, if you're in the retail business, there's a lot of consumer demand, obviously. Uh, but also, you know, it's the end of the year. Things are winding down. You're trying to settle a lot of personal obligations, family things, but also your work is piling up and things that you've been procrastinating. You know what? You can't escape it any longer. That's at least the boat that I'm in. And so I'm really thankful to bring on co-host Justin Crane, who is a money strategist for largely for business owners. And he's been on the show before helping me sift through your money questions. And he's back again because he's just that good. Justin, welcome to So Money. Thanks, Farnoosh. It's great to be here. How's everything going on the home front and the work front for you? It's a, it's, it is go time. And I, I know. feel like I'm just getting my butt kicked constantly right now. Welcome to the club. I just actually took a little vacation for about a week and a half, and I'm, I'm finally getting caught up. It's like for every day you take off, it takes a day to catch up for the amount of time that you've left, and I'm finally back. That is brilliant. Taking a vacation before everybody else goes on vacation and coming back when everyone's going crazy with uh, some rest and hopefully some calm. Where'd you go? I went to Italy and Israel. Nice. Yeah, it was amazing. All No work, right? Just, Just pleasure. Just play. You got it. Good for you. Well, then hopefully you're in a better headspace than I am. We have a number of questions right now to tackle from listeners. Some are, uh, to your expertise, uh, business owners or thinking of starting businesses and we want to help them out. And um, I also want to give some time to just talk more about your work and the advice that you may have for those of us who are entrepreneurs or self-employed this time of year, whether we're, you know, trying to uh, just tie some loose ends on our books or thinking about the new year and how to maybe do better 
with our personal finances and our business finances, but also, you know, it's his season to give. So if you're gift giving this year, what's the protocol? How do you account for all those things? Who do you have to buy for? Who should you not? Uh, it's a good time to be having you on the show. Our first question is from Emily, and she's about to buy a new fitness franchise. And she says that she needs a $175,000 loan. So any advice for her as far as applying for the loan and how to, as she puts it, wisely go into debt? She's 24 years old. She's debt-free. She doesn't have a home. And she's also putting some skin in the game. She's got about 20% of the loan currently in a savings account. So what's your advice to the franchise? Yeah. So Emily, this is awesome that you want to buy a franchise. I think it's so cool that you want to buy something and have a business and all that. So that's great. Um, I think when you're wanting to apply for a loan, whether it's an SBA loan or just a loan from a bank, whoever's lending you the money wants to know that you're going to be able to pay it back. So what that means is you have to prove it to them and show them that you're going to have the money to pay it back. So what are they going to want to see? They're going to want to see a profit and loss statement. And they're going to want to see some sort of other statement called a statement of cash flows, maybe a balance sheet, right? So if someone's lending you money, you need to show them that you can pay it back. You need to show them through these financial statements. So if you don't have that, get started on working with it. Find a bookkeeper, start it on your own, and just go into that, that space of showing the bank that you have the ability to pay them back. Now, Justin, what's your advice on where she should go to find this loan? I kind of want to tell her to maybe start with a credit union because they tend to have programs for local business owners, maybe um, loans with favorable interest rates and terms. Is that for that much money? Maybe she needs like $150,000. Do you think that's a, a, a good place to start? Yeah, I think it's a great place. I think a credit union or a local bank. It's also great if you have a relationship with a banker or the person at your credit union just to give someone some accountability, right? And that way that they can answer your phone call or your email and work with you and help you get the loan because it's a whole thing to get a loan. It's, it's, like, ugh, it's like pulling teeth, but once you get it, it's a great feeling. Should she wait until she has more equity, more of her own cash? Is 20% a good enough, it's like, you know, you say you buy a home and say you have a 20% down payment. Is that the same kind of rule of thumb when you're starting a business and getting out a business loan? I think it's a, it's a good rule of thumb. The issue is, is what is that monthly payment going to be on that loan? So let's just pretend and make up a number of $3,000 a month, right? So if, if you're borrowing money and you're going to do $3,000 a month for, let's say five years, can your business support that? That theoretically is an expense. The interest is an expense, right? That you've got to pay interest and all that. But just think about the cash flow. Could you afford a hypothetical number of $3,000 a month? Now, you got to think about, all right, so I get this loan of 175 grand. What am I doing with it? And how quickly can I make sales off of it? And can I make income off of it? That's the key thing is, is it's, it's the, the calculation and the measuring of how much you have to pay each month versus how much money you could make off of it. And also with, with franchises, a lot of the costs are taken care of, for example, marketing and materials, depending on the franchise. Um, so would your advice also be to like make sure that she's accounted for that, that maybe she doesn't need as much money as she thinks? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's about doing a back of the envelope calculation and just listing out all of your expenses 
and what you specifically will need that money for. And you might not need all of it at the beginning. Maybe you only need 75, 80, 100 grand. And then the other 75, maybe you can use a line of credit or something like that in a year or two. So make a list of all those expenses. And then you need to think about, okay, well, how much money am I going to make off of that? And how quickly can I convert that to sales? The timing, the conversion of when you get the money to when you will make money off of it is huge. Because remember, you got to pay interest on that money as soon as you take it. Right, right. Perhaps for things that she knows she can pay off right away or within the year, um, a 0% APR credit card could be good too. You know, I'm just thinking um, some of the expenses that you have, you'll need to pay back over a long period of time. Others, maybe you can pay back, you know, within six months or a year, and that may change the kinds of credit structures that you have. It doesn't have to all come from one loan. Yep. All right. Love Thank it. you for that. Sure. Okay, so we have a SpeakPipe question here. We're going to listen to the audio from Katerina, and it sounds like she is wondering about money and marriage. And I know this isn't necessarily your like your hottest area for advice, but you are married, right, Justin? I am married, and I'm also a certified financial planner, so I get this question a lot. Exactly. So, okay, so let's hear what she has to say, and hopefully we can help her out. Here we go. Hi, Farnoosh. My name's Katerina. And first off, I just want to say thank you so much for your podcast. I've learned so much. I hope you never stop doing your podcast. Um, thank you for all that you do. Um, anyway, so my question is about a financial planner. My husband and I just got married in August. And I think it's time for us to talk to a financial planner to see what our goals are, how to file taxes together, etc. Um, what is your advice in terms of what to look for in a financial planner um, to make sure they have our best interests in mind? I'm also open to finding a financial planner online and talking to them online. Um, so what's your best advice on what to look for and what to look out for? Thanks so much. Katerina, thank you so much for your question. And I love that this show has been helpful to you. And congrats on your marriage. I think that it's a very smart question, Justin, right? To think now as you're newly married, okay, we got to we got to merge our finances and maybe we need some objective advice. I, do a lot of your clients come to you at this stage in their lives? I'd say some do a lot wait until they have a kid. Then once they have a kid, they're like, okay, we got to really figure this out because the private school thing ultimately comes and then they want to talk about college. Um, but the smart ones, yeah, they start early and they come to me early. What is your advice for her? I, I mean, I got tons of advice about them. This I've written books about it. Uh, the short answer for me, for me, if you ask me, is that I think that having a financial planner can be very helpful at this stage, if, for no other reason, just to have that objective third-party voice. Because I think, like many people who get married. Um, opposites attract, right? And including financial opposites. You could be a saver, she or he's a spender, um, or you know, you're super goal-oriented, he's very much living in the now. And so being able to have someone come in and kind of objectively say, well, if these are your three common ground goals, this is what needs to happen. And it's not about you being this way or you being that way. Just this is what has to happen. You know, the numbers speak for themselves and it's nice to kind of be told what to do from someone else who's not your partner. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know. And that advisor could be saying the same thing that you've been saying all along, exactly. but your spouse like needs to hear it from someone else. Right, right. And and then she's also wondering about like filing their taxes together. I think in that case, you might want to work also with a certified public accountant. But again, this is someone who, if you start with a really good financial planner who's resourceful, can recommend you to other experts who can fill in those gaps. So like our planner, we don't work with her any longer, but she was extremely helpful in the beginning of our marriage. She rec- She referred us to an accountant also to an estate planning attorney when we were creating our wills. And she got us introduced to an insurance broker who helped us find different kinds of insurances, life insurance, things like that. And so I'm grateful for that relationship because it allowed us to connect all those other dots. So advice for where to start to find a financial planner? I mean, you can obviously hire Justin. Yeah. Well, I, can I give two mini rants? Because like I am so opinionated on this stuff. I like Please. love. I love this, this question. Take the stage. All right. Take the- My first mini rant is: you need to work with a fiduciary fee only advisor. So let me explain what that means. That means the only way that this person is getting paid is from you. They're not getting paid from a third party through a commission or some sort of kickback. You are the one that's paying them. They, being a fiduciary, legally have to put your interests first. So you need to ask an advisor, are you a fee-only financial advisor? Not fee-based because a lot of people will say, yeah, we're fee-based. And that, what does that mean? That means they can give you advice, but then they can put their sales hat on and then sell you something, whatever that is. Now, I'm not saying that financial advisors don't deserve to get paid. I'm talking about the standard in which they operate under. So you have to work with a fee-only financial advisor. It's a much cleaner way of doing business. You know exactly what you're paying, uh, and the advisor has your best interest at heart. That's number one. Number two? Great point. Great point. Yeah. Okay, moving on to number My two. My mini rant number two. I can't stand it when like people go and they're thinking of hiring like you know an accountant or an attorney or a bookkeeper or a financial advisor. And all these service people start out and be like, we've been in business for 40 years and we manage $40 billion and blah, blah, blah. And it's always about them. They're trying to like impress you on like how long they've been like doing their thing and how much money they manage or what their experience is. And I think that's just like, that's not at the core of what really needs to happen between a client and especially a financial advisor. The kind of things that you need to be looking for when you're sitting down with a financial advisor is the questions that they ask you, not the questions that you need to think about asking them. Observe and watch their process in getting to know you. Do they care about your money or do they care about you and your financial life? That's huge. Amen, Justin. I was on a a meeting once I had a I was doing I was going I was doing the rounds because I was trying to find a financial advisor and there was one meeting that I had and I ha- I walked away with the same feeling that you just described they were like you know we've been in business for 50 years I was in this boardroom that had a mahogany table that was about 300 feet long you know and I'm like is this what basically I'm amortizing yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I am my my money is going for the depreciation of this table and they just showed me stock chart after stock chart and I was like okay thanks but no thanks and I'm sure 
that there's a client for them, I wasn't the client. And I, I hear you that that pitch is common. That's a very common pitch. And we sort of think that that is then therefore like the way that we measure a, a firm's success and their way and their success in working with clients, but it's not true. What should you be hearing that's a good sign? Well, I like I like questions that are like, so tell me, tell me about yourself. Like, why are you seeking out a financial advisor? Like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? If you had all the money in the world, what would you do with your life? Like, if money wasn't anything, let's get to the core of what someone wants for their life. Let's connect with them and get real clear on what they're trying to accomplish and make them feel like we get them. That that is what my ultimately my financial advisor asked me. So what would what would be your ideal scenario when it comes to you and your money? And I said, Well, I just want to get to a place where I don't have to really worry about how my money is is serving me and providing for me and that it's going to be there when I need it today, tomorrow, and in the future. And she was like, Okay, we can work with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got excited. So yes, the, the good ones are out there. And, you know, obviously Justin, you're, you're busy. You work with a lot of clients, love you. And then of course we've talked about other resources here on the show, whether that's XY planning network, cfp.net, um, to find a certified financial planner, uh, but also ask around, right? Ask your friends, family, colleagues, who they work with. Do they like these people? And uh, do your due diligence. Okay. We have another question here from Steve about holiday tips. I want to expand this to even holiday gifts, especially if you're a business owner or you run your own enterprise, even if you just have a side hustle and you've got a lot of people that you work with, like what's the protocol and then how do you budget for this? Yeah. I want to answer this by saying, number one, Consult with your accountant to make sure that you could write off the gifts that you want to give because most of the time when you give gifts and you classify it as a gift in your business, the maximum gift that you're allowed to give is 25 bucks. So if you get someone like a $100 gift, you can only write off $25 worth of it. You got to get a little creative with it and get some buy-in with your CPA as to what you really can write off. And I'm not saying you should break the law, but you just want to be mindful of that. So that's number one. If you're going to give a gift as a business owner, you know, as a business expense. But on the other flip side, let's just say you want to give your spouse a gift, your kids a gift, like your aunt a gift, who your parents, whatever it is. What this means is you literally have to take the money out of your business, right? So it's no longer available to use in your business and it needs to come out of your business into a personal account and then you need to buy gifts from there. But the question is, how much can you afford to take out of your business? Especially around this time, what starts to happen is you can see what you're going to owe in April for taxes. So you got to make sure that you have enough saved for taxes. And maybe you wanted to do a vacation. And now I'm hitting you with this gift stuff. It's a lot of things that are coming to the forefront within two or three months. And you need to really plan for that. the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. 
entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. All right. So it sounds like there's a lot of emotions at play because it's the holidays after all. But, you know, if you're looking to build a business and nurture these relationships, I mean, gifts aren't everything, but it's a nice gesture. So how do you, what, any advice around kind of how to give gifts that maybe they're not super expensive? I mean, you, maybe you want to stick to that $25 figure because that's really what the IRS allows for, but what can you really gift for $25? Well, I actually, I've listened, I've listened to a few amazing talks and read some articles about gifts. And I, I actually think what works for me is something that you can give that's really genuine and thought out and to the person that you're giving the gift to. A Starbucks gift card is very generic. It doesn't make someone feel like you really get them and are buying them something that they love. So what have I done? A family picture, a donation to their charity that they really like, a book that speaks to them. Something like that. Yeah, a book is great. A book that's made to them or a magazine subscription. Sometimes, you know, you can get them like a one month of a some sort of like box of the month yeah. club that maybe yeah. they're really into wine or they're really into desserts or whatever. And then if they like it, they can continue to subscribe on their own dime, but at least you've given them like kind of an introduction to it. So those are always fun. And those can be really inexpensive, like 10, 20 bucks a month. You know, when you get like a holiday card, and it's from like some business, like imprinted, you know, season's greetings with the name of the firm or the guy or whatever. It was like no signature. You're like, did they really think about any? I mean, come on. Come I know. On. I get that sometimes from, they will re- remain anonymous, but I get them. And I'm just kind of like, sometimes I get duplicates. Oh, yeah. well, you're very important. Yeah. Like one on a Tuesday and then one the next week. I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, how automated did you yeah. make this? That like, so yeah, I mean, either do nothing or or do something with a little bit of thought and a little bit of touch thank you for those ideas those were really great all right we have a question uh from speakpipe here from jasmine it's about real estate and i'm a homeowner do you own a home yes so maybe we can help her out so here we go here's jasmine and her question hello partners my name is jasmine gibson so my husband and i our main goal is financial freedom which we are trying to reach as soon as possible. And we have decided that real estate is the way to go. So we have done what you call a live and home flip. And now our house is under contract. And once it closed, we will make about 30000 which is the most money we have made in our entire life, well, in our life so far. And now we are pregnant with our first child. So we are trying to figure out what should we do. Should we buy a duplex or a triplex, live in one side and rent the other side out? Or should we buy a new home and then purchase rental property? And we both work at the United States Post Office and together we make about 100000 a year. So 
We just wanted to know which way should we go. Okie dokie. So she's got a baby on the way and wondering also at the same time how to go about becoming a landlord essentially, right? Like should they rent out the other side of this duplex, triplex or buy a home and then get another rental property, rent that out. I sort of feel like you got a, you're going to have a lot going on in your life with this baby soon. And it's one thing to want to buy a home during all of this. It's a lot to take on. But then also to become a landlord too, they're brave. But I think that maybe having proximity to your tenants would be helpful, at least in the beginning, as you're you know also working and having a family and you've just become homeowners yourself. Just my two cents. Yeah. I mean, I think that okay, this, real estate's a very philosophical argument. I can give you six reasons why to do it and six reasons why not in terms of you know buying an investment property or buying a home. If it was me, I would buy a house. I want to raise my family. I want to own my own house. I want to pay my mortgage down, you know, and I want to do it that way. But maybe you buy a duplex or a triplex. I think that's also a smart thing to do versus buying another house. Because if you buy another house, it's a separate property. It's not part of your existing property that you can see, right? And then you have to manage that. And if those people can't pay that mortgage on your investment property, you're now on the hook for that. You're on the hook for your own house, and then you're on the hook for the other one. You need to make sure that you can adequately service both of those mortgages for a specific period of time. Usually with a duplex or triplex, it's a little easier. The payment isn't as high. Right. And again, you have that proximity to your to your tenant um, can make for things like even just, you know, because now you're the landlord, you have to make time for things that break or repairs, things like that. And you can definitely hire someone to still be kind of the middle person, but it's, it helps to be accessible to them. But I think I would also say to Jasmine, not to rush into things. I mean, it sounds like she's really excited about the money that they have made, the profit from this live-in home flip, the $30,000 and being pregnant you know, they, they kind of want to put that money to use and invest it. But I also think that it's worth waiting, right? Until, um, you know, they are a family unit and you just never know what's on the other side of having a family. That money could be um, money that you could uh, just hold on to for now and then do something with it once you realize how life materializes, right? After having the baby and maybe you don't you'd be thankful that you didn't rush into buying a home at this time frame because you just never know where life will take you. Any more thoughts? Yes. Number one, you've bought a house, you've flipped it, you've made 30 grand. That's great. But what about in the sideways to down real estate market? Then you're stuck in that house. You can't get the money out. You know, your full-time job is at the post office. And on top of that, you want to buy homes and flip them. In a really, really good real estate market, you could make a lot of money. But if it turns... The liquidity will dry up. You could lose your equity, and then you might not have a month, not might not have the money to buy a house. And then you're going to be renting. And then you might say, "Oh, can we own something? We could write off the interest, build equity, blah blah blah." You just want to get really, really clear on what your priorities are. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but look at the flip side and what could go wrong. Yeah, I mean, real estate—it's—it's it's a great kind of long-term buy and hold proposition. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that they were lucky, right? And having to come out of that flip scenario 
uh, cash flow positive and having a profit, but that's not always the case. And so don't let that become the rule of thumb and the protocol. Like it's not always like that. Hopefully you'll have a lot of prosperity in all of the financial endeavors that you take on, including real estate. But I think that at this stage too in your life, when you are going to be having a family, raising a family, um, better to be a little more prudent. Justin, this time of year, especially with the news coming out about tax codes changing and tax laws changing, as a small business owner, what's your advice? What's your financial advice for business owners going into the new year as far as maybe just let's just tackle the tax the tax variable? What are some ways to prepare for that? And what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think that there'll be some sort of compromise. Maybe they lower tax rates by one, two, three percent. But if they do that, they're going to have to take some you know, either raise social security, you know, or lengthen it. I mean, they got to somehow pay for the tax cuts. And I think there was going to have to be some, I think a deal will get done, but it'll be a little bit of a tax cut, a benefit for most people, but they're going to have to pay for it somehow. What I would recommend business owners do is have a conversation with their accountants and just ask, from a, I actually do this every quarter. I would ask them, what percent of my sales do I need to set aside for taxes? Not what percent of your profits, but what percent of your sales? So you can come up with a system of as you're bringing in money to your business, how much do you need to set aside and put in a separate bank account to pay taxes? Right. And hopefully a lot of us are all just paying quarterly, right? As opposed to once a year. So that will become a more recurring practice, right? So with my CPA, we pay the IRS every quarter, you know, and and, um, she's in the habit of asking me about my income because I forecast a certain income, but then of course things can change or I get paid late or I get paid early. And so that is a moving target. But yeah, if you're not already on some sort of system where you're paying your taxes quarterly or even just like you putting aside money every paycheck, every sales paycheck, that uh, you do that going into the new year as this as things are very murky Yeah, right now. Um, yeah, there's you could maybe need to get yourself and change entities from a sole proprietorship to an S-corp, pay yourself a salary once a month, get some tax withholding in there. I mean, also just for like this time of year, Maybe you need to increase your expenses to reduce your profitable net income this year, which would then reduce your taxes owed in April. You probably get a lot of questions about, especially for new entrepreneurs, new business owners, like how do I actually create a wall between my personal spending and my business spending? And I I think it can get especially challenging when you're married. I think when you have a partner and you have kids, like then you really need to compartmentalize and, and create strict boundaries. But when you're just starting out, what's what are some good ways to adjust to that separation? I think having a set of books for your business is huge. Um, and then number two, you really have to get clear on, well, how much money can I take out of my business to live for personally? So when you move the money, like when you log on to like B of A, Wells Fargo or Chase, you like transfer money from you know your business to personal. Well, how much can you afford to do each month? And what is your personal monthly nut? And is your business generating enough income to support the lifestyle that you have personally? Maybe your spouse can help you bring in more. Maybe you need to cut back on something personally. Maybe you need to cut back on something in business. Maybe you're throwing money away in your business and you need to take more money out to live personally. But it's kind of like getting your head out of the sand 
and owning the fact that you have to be aware of what's going on with the numbers in both your personal life and your business. And this is generally where it can get a little overwhelming for people. And I'm like, you know what? Just have a glass of wine. Take it one step at a time. You totally got this. Can I just say something else too? I feel as though we sometimes compete against each other as business owners, especially within the same category or pro, you know, sales product um, that we feel like, oh, well, this person's making seven figures and this person's making $6 million and I'm only making $500,000 or I'm not making it. And no one is really talking about margins. We're always talking about sales. Even when we're reporting on big companies like Warby Parker, I profiled those two founders and they have a run a six, hugely successful business. And But a lot of the articles in Inc. and everywhere else is like, oh, they're a billion dollar company. And I'm like, but are they profitable? Yeah. And they weren't for a while. And yet we were still giving them the, this like award for you know generating a billion, which is a feat. I get it. But at the end of the day, what matters is how much you take home. And we don't talk about that enough. And I think that sometimes we are competing on a false, false numbers, right? That, that if you are, if your margins are like 50% and another business is 10%, well, who cares what they're bringing in sales? Farnoosh, I love the profit rant. I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Literally. I, I think it's all about profits. But no one wants to reveal profits because then it's like the emperor has no clothes. That's right. Especially with, you know, people celebrating these big launches on stuff. Well, well, how much should they actually come home with? No. And then, I don't know, Gary Vaynerchuk's a, he's a character, but one of the things that I love that he preaches is about, you know, and this again applies to any business owner of any size and scale. Like, how do you know when to hire and outsource? And I feel as though a lot of times we, we like, not, I don't want to say a lot of times, but I know some business owners that have so many people on payroll or they have all these freelancers working for them. And I'm like, okay, that's nice if you have that, but do you really need it? And I feel like you should really only hire, he says, he says you should only hire in pain when there's a pain to address. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm dying here. I need a copywriter. I'm dying here. I need a, I need someone to help me with X, Y, or Z that's when you know it's worth it to invest in the hired help. But when you're just sort of surrounding yourself with assistants and interns and people that you're getting, getting coffee, it's like, hmm, can't you just get your own coffee? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're on to something. I think it really has to do with as you hire each person in your business, you want to make sure that the business's profits can catch up and be more profitable. Because I've seen people hire like five people and then it doesn't work. And then they're like, oh, so afraid and scared and don't want to hire anyone ever again. I believe in hiring one person at a time, making sure that it works, and then moving on to the next thing. Do we have time for a mini rant three on hiring? Yeah. Okay. I love you. Go ahead. <laughs> people will hire like admins, right? Virtual assistants, admins, you know, all of those people. And then they'll invest in that admin. And they'll be like, oh, I didn't make any more money. You know, I didn't, it didn't work, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, whose responsibility was it to make more money? They're like, me. I'm like, well, what did you do with that free time? They're like, I don't know. So a lot of times we hire people where the ROI isn't based on the person who we're hiring. It's actually based on us. We're the one who's in charge and responsible to make sure that we get an ROI because we're delegating something that's not in our unique ability, which means it's on us. It's not on the admin. It's not on the VA. It's on us to 
make hay while we have more time. Right. And then what do you do with that time is really the question. Yeah. And we just think, well, we have more time. So that's, that's winning. And I'm like, well, it is, but even better if you're using that time, like you say, to leverage your unique qualities to go out there and actually bring in the more money so that that higher pays for itself and then some. Justin Crane, thank you so much. Tell us a little bit more about you know, your business. Your book is called Money, You Got This, which is just brilliant. Yes, yes. Um, and of course, uh, you are the money strategist for business owners. But has anything, any updates that we should that we should tell listeners about? Um, nothing. I mean, I think that, you know, just really focusing on the financial life that you want for yourself, getting really, really clear about it. We're coming up on the beginning of the year. It's a great time to plan and set the intention of what you want for your life. And, um, I just, I believe that each of us has the power to have the financial life that we want. Everyone, you're in luck because Justin offers a free strategy session on his site. If you go to Crane. Dot com and Crane is with a K. You can learn more about him, his book, he's got a blog, and he also has a free strategy session. So please check that out. And Justin, wishing you and your family an awesome holiday season. And I would say relax, but it sounds like you're ahead of me there, smart one, going on a vacation before everybody else takes off for the end of the year. What do you have any big plans? Uh, no, this is a busy time for financial advisors. We do a lot of tax planning, uh, a lot of just end of the year stuff. I'll, I'm going to go away for a few days. Um, I think we're going to go to Napa, my wife and I, um, for a few days. But it's it's a busy time for us. All right. Good luck with everything. Wishing you, you. continued success in the new year, Justin. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Farnoosh. 